I don't want this child pornography in the public libraries or public schools and things like uh, genderqueer and other books that are vulgar and awful. And people look at that and they say, well, I thought you were about liberty and blah, blah, blah. Well, look, I am, am I saying ban the book? No, I'm actually advocating for how I want dollars that you've stolen from me at gunpoint because you taxed them from me and how I would like to see them spent since apparently I can't stop you from stealing them them from me in the first place, I should still get at least some say-so. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and today we're going to be covering some very important topics. Starting us off, I'll cover what I did to upset the left this last week. Normally, I do that last today. I'm going to do that first. Uh, then we'll go into you know the, the DNC, Bashir, uh, have signaled pretty clearly through some attorneys that the DNC has used in the past that should Mitch McConnell's seat need filled, they will not be following the law on how to fill that. And we will cover what they have said about that and what Bashir has said about that priorly and how that process plays out in a little more detail than we did last week. And then finally, Kentucky Constable Joseph Ramey out of Barron County was arrested for joining in a police pursuit in his... <laughs> Honda Odyssey minivan. And so we will, uh, a lot of people don't know what constables do. We'll cover a little bit about what they do and what happened in this particular situation where uh, Constable Ramey decided to hop on in that pursuit in his minivan. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But before we get into it, please like comment, share, subscribe. I know I say that every time, but y'all please do it for us. And if you're listening to the podcast version, please on whatever platform you're listening on, hit the share or hit the subscribe button. Sorry, make sure you're getting notifications about new episodes. And if you're listening on Facebook or Twitter or Rumble or YouTube or any other place that we upload this video, remember you can catch this in the audio only format on every single major podcasting platform. That way you can stay up to date and listen to this on the go. You can listen to it in your afternoon drive because of course episodes come out at one or you can listen to yesterday's episode in the morning on your way into work, whatever works best for you in your schedule. But just remember, uh, you can always catch this there on those podcasting platforms. Okay, let's jump into it. What did I do to upset the left? Well, I posted out a hot take and... I'm going to be honest. I knew that this take would be a spicy one when I put it together, not because it's unreasonable, but because people don't like the cold, hard truth. And I tweeted this out. Tyler uh, Childers can release all the gay porn he wants to. Just don't be surprised when the people who make up the bulk of country music fans are offended by it. I also don't like to see straight people eating each other's faces in my country music videos. All right. So let's go over why I said that. So Tyler lets out, and, and keep in mind, Tyler Childers is a country music singer who is from Kentucky, from the Appalachians of Kentucky, actually. And he released a song and music video detailing a gay love story. So a story between two gay dudes that were coal miners in Appalachia. Tyler is and has been a very far left individual. He got out there and openly campaigned for Charles Booker when Charles Booker was running against Rand Paul. So 
obviously it's not super surprising to see this person. And when you, if you listen to some of his songs and his music and, and some of his lyrics, he's clearly struggling with his own crisis of faith. Uh, I can tell, I can tell that he's, he's kind of, in this weird realm where he grew up Christian and Baptist. Uh, but I, I guess he's struggling right now with his own faith of what he believes in. And so he puts out this song and clearly, obviously this was in the works for a while. This has nothing to do with Jason Aldean's. A lot of people try to connect the two. It doesn't, but he puts this out and the music video is gay porn. That's what it is. Um, couldn't, couldn't finish it. But there's definitely some scenes in there that I would find objectionable in country music if I was watching a music video and straight people were doing it. It's, it's not that I have a particular problem. I mean, you know, outside the obvious fact that I'm not homosexual, but it's not that I have a particular problem with two dudes kissing or something like that. It's I have a problem with general sexual indecency, no matter the genders of the people involved at all. And I... In my humble opinion, the actions taking place in that music video are pornographic in nature. You can disagree with me. You can say I'm wrong, but whatever. And my point was he can put out all he wants to. Just don't be surprised when the bulk of country music fans aren't into it. They don't like it because that doesn't represent their values. And like I said, I also don't like racy uh, other songs. You know, if I'm to be honest, I don't like big and rich, save a horse, ride a cowboy. I think it's a little bit vulgar and it's not my favorite song at all, but there you go. That's my opinion on it. And the responses were frantic. Of course you had the far left making all kinds of claims and, and attacks. My favorite were things like, Oh, sounds like an incel, which incel stands for involuntary celibate, which means you can't attract women. And therefore, you don't involve in sexual intercourse, which is an odd statement to make to a married man with children. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, that's that's some of the comments that they made. But putting that to the side, there was a few comments uh, from individuals that don't obviously understand uh, my viewpoint to a degree. And this is what I mean. There are some people out there who identify themselves as conservative or liberty filled. And they believe that you are not a liberty person, a person who's for liberty. If you have opinions and that can't be farther from the truth. See, I was stating in there, I said, Tyler can release all the gay porn he wants to. I was stating in there, he can release it. Just don't be surprised when people are upset about it. Did I call my government to do anything? No. And I think that's what bears out for people to understand. Because so often people look at things like, I don't want this child pornography in the public libraries or public schools. And things like uh, genderqueer and other books that are vulgar and awful. And people look at that and they say, well, I thought you were about liberty and blah, blah, blah. Well, look, I am, am I saying ban the book? No. I'm actually advocating for how I want dollars that you've stolen from me at gunpoint because you taxed them from me and how I would like to see them spent since apparently I can't stop you from stealing them from me in the first place. I should still get at least some say so. I'm going to explain liberty principles to you real simply. My belief in liberty means that I do not believe that government should be our first solution. I 
don't even believe government should ever be a solution in a lot of these situations. I always seek to find free market ideals that have nothing to do with government. But that doesn't rob me of an opinion. In fact, it empowers me to voice my opinions even louder. Because when I believe that government shouldn't be a regulator on companies or general behaviors, unless you're harming somebody, we'll get to that in a second. But when I say I don't believe government should be a regulator on behaviors, that means of companies or people, that means it demands society as a whole to step up and fill that gap. It demands you to create the culture you want to see and to speak out on issues you don't want to see happening. I'm not demanding my government step in and arrest Tyler for releasing gay porn. No, I'm making a statement that I and others will not be supporting that kind of behavior because it's vulgar and it doesn't align with our values. Is that anti-liberty? Why? Because I don't believe in gay people getting it on and being okay with that on my music videos. No, it doesn't mean I'm anti-liberty. It simply means that I hold an opinion. Now the far left grabbing a hold of government to try to force down things that the rest of us disagree with. And it is not anti-liberty to fight against somebody else grabbing government to force down opinions you don't believe in. It is not anti-liberty to say, I don't want my tax dollars spent indoctrinating children. And it's not anti-liberty to sit here and say, I disagree with something. And I hear people lamenting the cancel culture, but the cancel culture in reality, if people are speaking up and putting their money where their mouths is on both sides, is just the free market at work. Cancel culture is how companies and people are supposed to be regulated to begin with. And I'm saying, I, and, and I think cancel culture targeting an individual is an ugly stain, but cancel culture on a business or an artist that is a business, Tyler Childers is a business. He's in the business of selling his music. And so cancel culture against a business isn't cancel culture. That is just the free market working. As I said, you can disagree with my opinions and that's fine. Disagree with them. But I don't cross the line until I ask government to enforce an opinion that I am holding on others. Now that being stated, I also don't believe that you should be allowed to go around willy-nilly harming people. And what I mean by that is, is, is people wade into, okay, so you just said you're not for government forcing your viewpoints on people, but here you are saying, and have stated repeatedly that you're for the government getting rid of hormone uh, uh, treatments and puberty blockers for children. Wasn't that a liberty issue? To which I say, I still don't think you should be allowed to harm people. It is my sincerest belief that individuals who reinforce gender dysmorphia instead of treating it are causing harm to that individual. Direct harm too. Not, you got to attach dots because people try to argue the same harm about, well, we should have forced people to stay inside during COVID and that's okay to do and blah, blah, blah. But that isn't like a person causing direct harm. It's not a person looking you in the eye and saying, I'm now going to cause you damages. And when you go into talking about things like banning children from going to drag shows, look, that is a sexual performance. You're harming children 
by putting them there. Am I saying ban drag shows completely? No, you want to have your drag shows and strip clubs and bars over 21 and people can either come in or not that are adults of consenting age where if they want to watch those god-awful wretched performances of society, they can choose to do so. I'm not asking my government to do anything about it. But don't be surprised if I start to ask that uh, communities around the area boycott businesses that do decide that they want to support and help it. Because I believe that's a better way to shape society. That's a better way to shape our world. Not through the heavy hand of force through the government, but through my dollars and my actions, my ability to persuade others that my viewpoint is right. Your ability to persuade others that your viewpoint is right. That is the way that society should be shaped. So once again, my belief in liberty and conservative values simply means that I don't believe in government using the heavy hand of force to get my point across. But that doesn't mean I'm devoid of opinions. And somehow saying you're not conservative or you're not liberty because I am not for, I am not okay with, I do not agree with Tyler Childers releasing gay porn and calling it a music video doesn't mean I don't love liberty. It actually just means I love liberty and I have an opinion. I'm expressing my liberty to voice that opinion. Well, coming up after this, Bashir and DNC are signaling that they will challenge, if Mitch McConnell should pass away while in office, will challenge this law. Um, we'll talk about what basis they will have to challenge that on what actually like really in death happens fully. Uh, I know we talked about it last week that there'd be a replacement if he falls ill and, and that process there picking three, but we'll go into a little more detail here after this. So last Friday I talked about McConnell falling quiet during a press conference and his ongoing medical issues. And what's that mean for his sentencing? And honestly, you know, I've, I've heard some people say, oh, this is morbid and ghoulish to talk about McConnell passing away like this and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, what's morbid and ghoulish is having a man as old as Mitch McConnell still in office. Don't be shocked that people will talk about what happens when you die in office. And don't be offended by it. It's your choice to stay in there till you literally die. So yeah, we're going to speculate what happens when that happens. Now, am I wishing death on Mitch McConnell? Of course not. I wish him the best of health. I do hope, though, he recognizes that it is time for him to step down. He is not what he used to be, but putting that one to the side. So what happens, and, and last week we talked about what happens if he passes, that Andy Bashir would be given a list of three people to choose from, from the Republican Party, and then he would pick them to fulfill that office until the next election. But let's go into a little more detail now, and it's needed because Bashir has signaled and others that they would challenge this law, and they can do it one of two ways. So McConnell passes, and Bashir says, I want to challenge this uh, Senate bill, and he could either choose to not appoint someone and instead 
go against the law in court. So he could choose to go ahead and just hold off appointing somebody and sue in court against the law, or he could appoint whomever he wants to, and then force other people to sue him to say that he shouldn't do it. And Bashir certainly has the um, flippant <laughs> viewpoint of the law to do that. And he can get away with it. I mean, people don't, the proper way to do it wouldn't be, okay, this law has been passed. You now challenge it. Instead, he is definitely more the type to say, I'm going to break the law and then let's see you challenge it. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. That is the Bashir motto. Not exactly the motto you want out of somebody in government, but that is his motto nonetheless. But he will go ahead he will most likely appoint whomever he wants to and claim that he has the constitutional right to do so. Let's examine exactly what Senate Bill 228 does and what Bashir's possible challenges can be to it. So Senate Bill 228 took what was our old process, which was simply the governor simply appoints somebody to fulfill the role. And then there should be at the next congressional year election. So that's every other year that seat would then go up for election. And then whoever gets elected into that seat through a normal process would then fulfill the term of that seat until it's next regular election. So let's say that Mitch McConnell went down and retired or stepped down or passed away, unfortunately, right now. Well, what would happen would be Andy Bashir would appoint somebody to under the old law before Senate bill, 228 was passed. Andy Bashir would appoint somebody to fulfill that seat until the November elections of 2024. That'd be the next House elections. And then whoever, whomever was elected after going through the primary and general process of 2024 would then carry and fulfill that seat's term out until 2026 when McConnell's term would normally have ended this term have ended and then they will run for election again two years later, then to fulfill out the full term. So whoever Bashir at a point, let's say from this right now would only serve until the next congressional election or let's say Bashir, God forbid wins this next election. And then McConnell steps down at any point after November in 2024. Well, before they passed the law, what would have happened is Bashir would appoint somebody and then they would have served until 20. 26 that then would have had a regular election at that point because that's when that office would have been up anyways. But with this new law, there was a change made that says Bashir is to appoint somebody out of a list that the person's party puts together. And if they're a Republican, he has to appoint a Republican and he has to choose one of the three that the state executive committee puts together. Or if they were a Democrat, he had had to have chosen a Democrat. That would have been one of the three that the state's party puts together. Or if the person who passed was an independent, then Bashir would have had to appoint an independent to fulfill the role. And then now the maximum amount of time that could fulfill that role is 18 months. And they will either be uh, a new special election to fulfill that role until the term is expired of 2026 at the normal election time of the next year that we have an election. So for an example, in this case, 
if somebody passed away right now and it is greater than three months out. So right now it'd be August, mid-August before it gets to three months out. Okay, so uh, if somebody passed, Bashir would appoint somebody and then uh, there would be a election held in November. This election would take a different process. I'll cover that here in a second. If, however, somebody uh, passed after this August and then Bashir could have the special election at the next time as called either in uh, the, the November of the following year, they, it just can't exceed 18 months. So the election will occur at the next regularly scheduled general election, right? So we have an election every year, but there's an off year uh, once every four years. And so we have off year governor elections. And then of course we have the congressional elections every two years. And then the Senate elections will fall on the congressional election years. So 2025 would be an off year blank election year. And so if he appointed somebody, they could serve until the next regular election. If there's not a next regular election coming up within the time frame, then they can call a special election. And how that special election is to take place, because it doesn't have a traditional primary, the way it's prescribed in the new law, not the old law, but the new law is this way, is that there shall be this election that people can qualify to get on the ballot as long as they have a thousand signatures. And then there will be a um, plurality, not just plurality, but you have to get a majority vote. And so no other election that we have in Kentucky is held this way, where a person has to get a majority vote. But if in case of a special election for a Senate seat, uh, this would be how they conduct it. So anybody who gets a thousand signatures or more um, can qualify to be on the ballot and they can qualify as a Republican or a Democrat, independent or however, whomever, however they identify, they then would be put on the ballot and then they would be voted on in November at our normal election time. If upon completion of that election, not one person has reached at least 50.1% uh, of the vote, so a majority of the vote, not just a plurality, but a majority, then they would come back through, they take the top two, vote getters, and then they would have a special election runoff election between those top two vote getters and whomever gets the most votes out of those two would then move on. So it's a way of kind of skipping a primary process. So if somebody falls ill, goes down, then an election can be held uh, relatively quickly. You don't have to wait for a primary process. And so this was if, if somebody goes down uh, now, like McConnell was to go down now, um, well, and, and retire or step down. Well, then we don't have to do a full primary process to have our special election. We can kind of do it by having a, uh, majority, uh, a runoff majority election. And so this was a, a pretty drastic change. Like I said, you're bringing in a type of election we don't normally conduct in Kentucky with the runoff elections. And you're bringing in a, a few different components that you don't normally see. And so now Bashir has, like I said, indicated that he will challenge this bill and he'll challenge it by appointing whomever he wants to. And what will he argue that on? How will he argue that this bill is unconstitutional? I think we just need to look at the veto message on this bill to see what he would be arguing on. So in Bashir's veto message, he said, of course, he's vetoing Senate Bill 228. 
because it improperly and unconstitutionally restricts the governor's power to fill vacancies in the United States Senate. The purpose of the 17th Amendment to the United States Constitution was to remove the power to select United States senators from political party bosses. Senate Bill 228 violates the very purpose of this amendment by returning that power to political parties in case of a vacancy. Understand, he's he's talking about the amendment that moved the Senate seats from being appointed by the state's legislature, which is how senators were appointed, until... Uh, the 17th Amendment was put forward, and it was moved to then a popular vote. And his argument was that the entire reason why they passed that amendment was because the party boss, party leadership in states were picking senators and not, uh, and it wasn't being taken care of properly. And that, that could be an argument, though I've heard a lot of arguments that the 17th Amendment got it wrong, that senators being appointed by the state legislatures would be a better choice. I guess that's a debate for a different day. But regardless, the Constitution has that amendment. And he says, well, it violates that, that very purpose of it. I don't know how much legs you would stand on there through that. And what I mean by that is, is you're talking about fulfilling a vacancy until a regular election. You're not talking about fulfilling the entire seat. I mean, reasonably speaking, the 17th amendment moved to where voters would appoint a Senator. I, I personally don't see how this argument would have much merit when you're arguing that the governor should be able to fulfill the vacancies because that person is also one person fulfilling a vacancy and he's still being uh, empowered to fulfill that vacancy. But, um, I, I, you know, he could have a point in saying that the spirit of the constitutional amendment was to move it away from party bosses. But if his argument was because they didn't want senators being appointed by people, but instead elected by voters, the argument back would obviously be, well, you're appointing a senator under the old law. So I don't know how much merit that would hold. He then goes on to say in his veto message, for over 100 years, Kentucky law has provided that the governor shall fill any vacancy in the United States Senate by temporary appointment. This law is consistent with the 17th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which provides that, and this is real interesting. So he's saying that the legislature of any state may empower the executive thereof to make temporary appointments until the people fill the vacancies by election as the legislature may direct. Which is an interesting thing for him to point out to say, well, this gives the governor power because this amendment says that I get the power, but it says the legislature of the state may not shall. It's important too in law. There's a difference. It says of the state may empower the executive thereof to make temporary appointments until the people fill the vacancies by election as the legislature may direct may. And also the legislature empowering him to pick between three people picked by the parties doesn't exactly you would you would have to make some once again spirit of the law type arguments in order to overcome the fact that the legislature is given explicit power over the appointments they're mentioned into it it doesn't say the executive of the state may appoint until to fill the the vacancy 
until an election can be held. No, it says the legislature specifically brings them up. So to say that the legislature doesn't have the ability to pass laws on whom the governor appoints to that position in one way, shape, or form is patently, I think, false. Especially when the amendment specifically brings up the legislature having some say-so in this process. I continue. In Bashir's veto message, Senate Bill 228 improperly limits the power by requiring the governor to select the appointee from a list of three names supplied by the executive committee of the political party of the senator who held the vacant seat. The bill, therefore, upends a century of precedent by delegating the power to select representatives of all Kentuckians to an unelected, unaccountable committee of an organization that represents only a fraction of Kentuckians. Now, here's an argument that perhaps may have some legs. He is saying that um, the precedent set is that somebody who is elected by the people, not people who are uh, elected by party leaderships of some sort, should have say-so over who they're appointing. Now, of course, the argument would be is, well, they're not telling you who to appoint. They're telling you, they're giving you an option of who to choose. And clearly, and clearly, the legislature knew they were on sticky constitutional grounds with this to begin with, this whole process of the parties now getting involved in supplying appointees. Because if they didn't think they were on sticky grounds, they wouldn't have made it three than he picks from them. They would have just said, here's your choice. But they didn't because they knew that the governor would have to have some say so in order for the law to remain, even having the hope of being argued for constitutionality. And I think this is the biggest struggle this law will have to remain in effect. That they are not elected people providing the list. If they were so concerned, you would think a better choice would be something like uh, a committee created by Senate and House leadership to make the appointments. I, I don't know if they considered that, but if you're concerned about constitutionality, your argument would be, well, the legislature is empowered. The legislature is also elected just like you are, and they're making those choices, and they're elected by the people as a whole within their districts, and, and so they are therefore properly elected into their positions by general population at some point. And it would be harder to argue that, but saying it's given over to party leadership, that will be the greatest argument that Bashir has against this law. It will be, in my opinion. I'm not a lawyer, but in my opinion, that is his best argument. He continues, Senate Bill 228, improperly limits the power by requiring the governor to select the appointee from a list of three names supplied by the executive committee of political party of the senator who held the vacant seat. The bill therefore upends a century of precedent by delegating the power to, a sel to select the representative of all Kentuckians to an unelected unaccountable committee of an organization that represents only a fraction of Kentuckians. In doing so, Senate Bill 228 is contrary to the United States Constitution. The 17th Amendment does not authorize legislatures to direct how the governor makes an appointment to fill vacancies, and the legislature may not impose an additional qualification on who the governor may appoint beyond the qualifications the United States Senator set forth in the Constitution. It says it does not 
authorize legislatures to direct how the governor makes an appointment, which I think is patently false. I've, we read to you words out of it. It said the legislature of any state may empower, not shall, may empower the executive. Frankly, I think he's false. And once again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to claim to be some great legal expert. I've written some laws, written some amendments. Some of them have passed. But I don't think just saying, look, the governor can appoint whoever he wants to. The legislature has no say so based upon the 17th Amendment. When we've gone over what it says about the legislature in there, I don't think personally that's very accurate. Like I said, I could be wrong. It could be fleshed out in court to be the exact opposite. But I, you read it, I read it. You don't want to have your, your JD to know, to be able to read plain text and see that it says may empower. Now, if it said shall empower, well, that means the legislature has to, but it says may. Once again, that's a big difference. Further, I know that there is a United States Senate vacancy as a result of the death or resignation of one of our current senators. Some members of the General Assembly would gain the ability to select the three names submitted to the governor for appointment by virtue of their status as members of the party's executive committee, rendering them conflicted within the meaning of KRS 6.731. Passage of this bill under such circumstances contrary to the public interest. Well, if that is of concern, obviously you could say, well, legally they can't be a part of the, the committeeing process, but also at the same time, either, either people need to be elected and held accountable in order to have the choosing process or they're not one of the two. And he's arguing for both in this veto message. I continue. The bill also is unconstitutional under the Kentucky Constitution, Section 152 of the state constitution, provides that the governor shall. Now he's put shall in quotations, not may. <laughs> shall, which now has become important to him. Important to him. The governor shall fill by appointment vacancies in offices for the state at large. No conditions, qualifiers, or limits are placed on that appointment power. Now, that might be a good argument there for him, too, pointing to the state constitution. But it's funny that he zeroes in on shall when he's talking about the state constitution, but he ignores may when he's in the federal constitution, arguing as if they mean the same word there, and they clearly don't. This is finally, I am vetoing Senate Bill 228 because it will increase the expense of filling the vacancies by requiring runoff elections whenever a candidate does not achieve a majority of the votes cast. That seems like a silly reason to kind of handle this. You're saying, look, we've got a special election. We need a primary process. So, so how it, it's funny because by vetoing that portion, how a primary process in a special election normally takes place is the executive committees for the body. So the Republican Party, if it's statewide, it would be the Republican Party Executive Committee and the uh, Democrat Party Executive Committee would then vote to fulfill that vacancy, their executive committees would, which he's arguing against them in that place, but he's saying in a special election, empowering them to pick their primary candidate um, is, is bad. And by requiring a runoff, whenever a candidate doesn't receive a majority vote, uh, well, that increased costs. But he's not really concerned about costs. Don't 
worry, Bashir hasn't suddenly come down with a case of I care about government spending. What he's really concerned about is that the top two will both be Republicans, not Democrats. And therefore, the Democrats won't be able to run a 1v1 race. Remember, races are about making it easy to vote for you, hard to vote for your opponent. And when you're running against 10 people, 20 people, that's who qualifies for the special well, then you have to run on your own merits. You can't, it's not as easy to attack others. You can attack the front runner, but it gets perilous as their votes may land on somebody else. But obviously it makes it harder though for the Democrats because they have to stand on their own merits. And frankly, Democrats aren't very attractive in their own merits. And so if a Democrat ends up not being one of the top two getters, and then you have a race when it does come down between the two, it's two Republicans well, that doesn't work as well for the Democrats. They want a special election that that's the case. So looking at Bashir's veto message, looking at what he's indicating, it certainly shows that he could perhaps um, challenge us in court and, and he may have some good arguments to make. Now, if you're him and you're worried about the optics, you would just challenge it in court. What you wouldn't do is just appoint somebody and then it'll make them challenge you in court because regardless, it's, it just shows a complete disrespect for the process of saying, I don't care what laws you pass. I'm not going to challenge your constitutionality. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then let's see you stop me. It harkens back to Andrew Jackson's uh, comments he made at our Supreme court decision that he disagreed with that says, you know, this, the court has issued its order. Now let's see them enforce it. Basically saying they have no enforcement arms. So let's see them try to stop me. I don't think that comes off very well. So he may do that, or he may end up trying to do any number of, of things to challenge it in court. Like I said, he may have some arguments. I don't know. Well, coming up after this, uh, constable in Barron County joined a police chase, got arrested. We'll talk about what constables actually do and uh, what happened here. We'll be back after this. <laughs> All right, Kentucky Constable Joseph Ramey out of Barron County was arrested for joining a police pursuit in his Honda Odyssey minivan. So what happened was is the police and sheriffs were in pursuit of a stolen vehicle. And this Kentucky Constable, newly elected Ramey, Constable Ramey, decided to join in the pursuit in his Honda Odyssey minivan. And he was arrested for that for counts of impersonating a peace officer as well as um, wanton endangerment because he was a part of the police chase, so on and so forth. First, let's talk about what constables are. So what sheriffs are to the government is supposed to be what constables are to the people. The constables in the Kentucky law uh, and, and Kentucky Constitution are supposed to be uh, represent the, the people that the people, you and I, go to and can pay them to carry out things. Constables are oftentimes now local uh, magistrates and, and county level governments can choose how they want to fund those constable groups. But most of the time they're completely unfunded where constables have to pay for their own vehicles, their own badges, their own guns, their own trainings, which is why we have a constable driving around in a Honda Odyssey minivan. Additionally as well, unless they are approved by their county fiscal courts, they're not allowed to run lights and sirens. They're only allowed to have uh, safety lights like you or I could have on their vehicles. Um, now, 
Constables are, according to our state constitution, fully sworn peace officers. However, the legislature recently passed a law saying that they couldn't engage in any kind of policing activities, act as peace officers, until they have fulfilled a police training. And of course, this was challenged in court by the Constables Association, but then dropped. Now, understand this. Uh, there's a lot of bad constables out there. It happens a lot. But there's also a lot of bad sheriffs out there, uh, sheriffs that make bad decisions, elected um, enforcement officers. It, it can just happen that way. There's no, per se, background checks. There's no qualification requirements. And so when you're electing your head law enforcement officers, that is what can happen. I mean, I don't think I need to remind people that Jesmond County in their past, not the current sheriff, but in their past, has had a sheriff that's uh, been charged with DUIs and um, driving while under the influence. And we've seen horrible sheriffs in many of other towns that handled their business the wrong way. The difference is there's 120 sheriffs. While constables, there can be as many as, I'm, I didn't Google or search how many constables, but there's normally around five or so per county. So you're talking about 600 constables. That's significantly more. Additionally, as well, constables, most people don't even know what they do. They're elected by a smaller group of people. Uh, most of the time, they're tied to the magisterial districts. And therefore, um, when they're elected by a smaller amount of people, people don't know what makes a good constable or a bad constable. And a lot of people don't know what constables actually are supposed to do. So constables can fulfill, can be hired to fulfill things like civil uh, agreements and contracts, eviction notices, serving court papers, um, following out uh, uh, civil court orders that have been ordered by a judge. So in, in civil court, um, you can sometimes get your sheriff to enforce them, but you can also get constables to enforce these orders and their orders issued by the, the judge and then the constables empowered to carry them out. The requirement for peace officer training is interesting though, considering the fact that Kentucky sheriffs are not required to go under any special training in order to maintain uh, their sheriff's office or to fulfill the uh, duties of said office. So sheriffs are not required to obtain training. It gets kind of hard when you have elected people and then for the state to say, well, if you don't fulfill this, you've fulfilled your requirements to run for the office. But now if you don't fulfill this, you now can be kicked out of the office. That's very difficult to do. And so that's why constables can't be kicked out of their office if they fail to get a training. But they've said you cannot fulfill the duties of a peace officer, even though in the state constitution they are registered as peace officers. They say you can't fulfill those duties until you've received a training. By the way, remember, constables are not funded by their county governments. So if you want, as a constable, to be able to execute the full peace officer duties of the office you were elected to, you now have to pay out of your own pocket to go to this training. Um, that's 40 hours or so. And you have to complete that training and you won't receive any payment for doing so. That of course, and it won't be paid for. You have to pay for it yourself. So obviously that uh, can definitely be a hindrance to individuals to fulfill it. And that's how we ended up with this gentleman joining in a police pursuit in his Honda Odyssey minivan. Constables are empowered to hand out traffic citations as well. 
And so the argument for why he said, well, I thought I could jump in is because, well, I'm allowed to hand out traffic citations and I'm a peace officer. And you may see some arguments against it, but we've seen time and time again, and we will continue to see this legislature as well as others try to limit the powers of the constables because <laughs> frankly, 600 elected people with no officer requirements that are now being uh, empowered to carry around uh, to fulfill people who are being empowered to fulfill peace officer duties is going to lead to issues. And there will be a call out for reform. We've seen it in Fayette County. We've seen situations where constables arrested, I'm putting that in quotations, people like their ex-girlfriends <laughs> and then held them captive. Um, you know, we've seen issues like that time and time again. So I just wanted to inform you a little bit about constables as we're watching how this story will unfold. Um, but could you imagine being taken down? You're, you're trying to escape from the police in a stolen vehicle. And the guy who takes you down is driving a Honda Odyssey minivan. That's something you'd lie about in the jails, most certainly. That certainly says I am one awful criminal. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll see you here tomorrow on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe. Have a great rest of your day.